So we're up to the Mishnah on Mimdala Mimdala, 44a. Mishnah begins like this. Metaltalin, we're going to have a big machlekes when it comes to uh, what sort of candles, what sort of lamps are mukta, and what sort of lamps are not mukta. I'm just making you mute. Okay. So, metaltalin nerchadash avalu yashan. You're permitted to carry a brand new lamp that has not yet been used. You're not permitted to carry one that has already been used. Typical lamps in those days were made out of Cheres, or made out of pottery. And once you use it once, it gets a little bit um, gross because the oil like soaks into it and it's very hard to clean it. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, very porous and hard to clean. So once it's already been used, it becomes mukta, and that's why you can't carry it anymore. But if it's no longer, if it has never been used, it has not yet become mukta. Shimon says, you're allowed to carry all neiris except for a uh, candle, a lamp, that is currently lit on Shabbos, okay? So, so far we brought two in two opinions. The Gemara is gonna get into exactly what's going on over here. Just the, like I said before, the case of the old lamp, the old lamp it has a status of what we call Mukta Machmas Mios. Mukta Machmas Mios, Rashi it tells us, is the type of Mukta, it's something which people will not handle on Shabbos. Why won't they handle it on Shabbos? Because it's gross. People don't handle things that are gross. So since it's gross, you're not intending to handle it. It becomes muktzah, becomes something that you don't intend to use. And therefore, you're not actually allowed to handle it on Shabbos at all. Now, Shimon says you're allowed to handle all candles unless it is a candle that is currently lit right now. Okay? So Shimon does not hold a muktzah machmas miyas. Shimon does not hold of this concept of something that is gross becomes, and, and therefore unusable, also has a status of muktzah, and chazal include that in their takana of things that you're not permitted to use on Shabbos. Shimon doesn't say that. Shimon says the only thing that you're not permitted to move is an actually lit lamp. Why are you not permitted to move a lit lamp? Because through moving it, you might cause the lamp to go out. Right? So it's not a concern of mukta, according to Shimon. It's a concern of you might come to cause it to go out. Right? So let's say today, if we're talking about moving um, like an actual lamp, so many people will say that you are permitted to move an actual lamp today, as long as you're not going to pull out the plug, obviously. Okay. We learned the Gemara brings the Brisa. Metaltalin iner chadash avalayashan. The Brisa says that you're permitted to move a brand new lamp that has not been used yet, a pottery lamp. However, you're not permitted to move an old one. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda, that is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Rameir, says, kol haneiras metaltalin chutz minhaner. So Rameir is a new opinion we haven't seen so far. So far, we've always been discussing Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda, and we said Rabbi Shimon is more lenient when it comes to muktzah questions than Rabbi Yehuda. But now we introduce a third Tana. Third Tana's opinion is all candles can be transported except for a candle that was lit on Shabbos, right? Not a candle that was lit, um, not a candle that was, that is lit currently, but a candle that was lit this Shabbos. According to the mayor, a candle that was lit this Shabbos, you cannot move. Rav Shimon says, Shimon says, except for a candle that is currently lit, that you are not permitted to move. But everything else, even if it was previously lit on Shabbos, you are permitted to move it, right? So three different gradations of what's considered to be muktzah when it comes to moving a lamp that has a candle on it. But if it's already gone out, even though it's lit on Shabbos, you're still permitted to move it later on on Shabbos, according to the opinion of Reb Shimon, who's the most lenient. Let's say you have a kais, a cup, kara, a bowl. Ashasis is a, um, like a glass uh, vessel type of container. Um, you're not permitted to move them if they were lit. On, on Shabbos, then you're not permitted to move them even after they go out. He is the most lenient opinion. He is the the son of Reb Shimon, and he's even more lenient than his father. How far does he go? He says, 
says like this. He says, you're even permitted to actually take from the oil of the candle that is currently lit. If it's not going to cause any sort of extinguishing at all, you're even permitted to take the oil from the candle that is currently lit. That is by far the most lenient position. Rabbi Shimon said you're not permitted to take from the, not permitted to move the candle when it's lit. And you're also not permitted to take from the oil of that candle while it's lit. But Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Shimon says you're even permitted to take from the oil that is in the candle as well. Amar Abaya says, you know, let's categorize these positions. Rabbi Lezer, the son of Rabbi Shimon, holds like his father in one aspect and argues on him in a different aspect. What does he hold like him? How does he hold like his father in one aspect? Because he does not hold a mukta, right? So remember, the Gemara is using this very loosely. The Gemara always says, Rabbi Shimon's position, less lay mukta. He doesn't hold a mukta. Now, that's clearly not true. We know he holds a mukta as conceptually he holds a mukta. But in terms of does he hold a mukta in as widespread a fashion as the other Tanaim, the answer is no. So when we define Rav Shimon's position, we define his position as less lay mukta. He doesn't hold a mukta. In other words, he doesn't hold a mukta as widely as the other Tanaim do. So Rav Shimon certainly can be said the less lay mukta. He doesn't hold a mukta. However, he argues in a different aspect. His father, Savar, believes kava in loy kava loy. His father said, if the candle already went out, then you're permitted to move it on Shabbos. But if not, you're not permitted. And the son, he says, Savar believes, even though it has not yet gone out. But if you're able to remove the oil from the lamp without causing the lamp to flicker, or if the oil has spilled out of the lamp, but the lamp is still lit, permitted to use it. Now, the Gemara continues, that the Brites are finished with, that if you have a cup, or if you have a bowl, or if you have the Ashashis, this type of, um, uh, like a, I think it's a glass utensil, then you're not permitted to move from its place at all. Maishnahani, the Gemara at this point assumes that this is Rib Shimon giving a qualifier to his statement. Rib Shimon said, once the candle's gone out, you're permitted to move it. And then it seems to be saying that Rib Shimon then qualifies that that's only true by a regular lamp. But a cup or a bowl or the sashashis, then you're not permitted to move it from its place at all. What's the difference? Maishnahani, what's the difference that these ones you're not permitted to move after the fire goes out in the first cases of lamps you are permitted to? Um, Ula, Ula says, Seifa son Rabbi Huda. No, the Seifa is really going back to the opinion of Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda's opinion indeed was that you're not permitted to move a lamp even if it was already used on Shabbos and went out. You're not permitted to move it because Rabbi Huda holds that, um, <coughs> that mukta machmas mias, something which became gross by being used for a lamp on Shabbos, people don't really want to handle. And that is also in the category of things that are forbidden to now handle on Shabbos because it's in the category of mukta machmas mias, things which are gross. So maybe that's what's going on over here. The, the end of the b'risa is reverting back to the position of Rabbi Yudah. So Maskevla Marzutra, Marzutra asks a very obvious question. If so, my apple, what's the but? Right? In other words, the, the b'risa tells us Rabbi Yudah's position is camels are forbidden to be moved on Shabbos, even after they've gone out. Right? And then Rabbi Shimon comes along and says, everything is permitted to be used except for a candle that is currently lit right now. But then he finishes with Abo, but in a different case, such as Kaisankara, and it's not permitted to be moved. So what's the but going on? In, in Rabbi Huda's world, everything is forbidden. There's no but. There's no, this is the qualifier that these things are forbidden. No, everything is forbidden in Rabbi Huda's world. Ella Marzutra comes and says, Indeed, that statement of Abo to exclude these types of categories, these types of utensils, indeed, are not permitted to be moved even after they've gone out. That is indeed still a qualifier in the position of Rabbi Shimon. When did Rav Shimon say that you're permitted to take from the oil or to use the, or to move the candle? 
when did he say that? He said, but when you have a small lamp, a typical size lamp that is intended to be used for a couple of hours on Friday night, let's say you have a nice big, you know, a three-day yard site candle that you lit with the intention of it staying lit for the whole Shabbos. Then Rav Shimon would agree that indeed it becomes mukta. Why does that become mukta? So explains the Gemara. When you have a small candle, you intend that it's going to go out and you realize that from the beginning. And therefore, you are thinking you're going to be able to move it later on in Shabbos. Therefore, you would never make katsedas. You never took your mind off of this item for the whole Shabbos. Abahani dinafishi. These large-scale items that if you lit a fire on them, they could stay lit the whole Shabbos. What we, do, what we call that is you make das. You thought I am not going to have any use for this on Shabbos. And since you thought that, it then becomes forbidden to handle on Shabbos. But Tanya, Meisar Shem and Shem and Never Shem and Shem Mater. It says that the Brisa tells us explicitly the leftover oil that is in a lamp or that is in a bowl is forbidden to be handled. But Rav Shimon permits you to handle it. Now, that is explicitly talking about the leftover oil in a bowl. Now, if it's true that Rav Shimon believes that in a bowl, since there's so much oil, it's going to last so long, the person is thinking to himself, I have no intention of getting any benefit from this, from this, um, the oil, the whole Shabbos. If that would be true, that that's Rav Shimon's position, then why in the Brisa does he say the leftover oil that's in a bowl, you're permitted to use, right? According to this opinion, if even Rav Shimon agrees that if it's in a bowl and it's something that it would presumably will stay lit the whole Shabbos, indeed you are mekatsadas, you think to yourself, I'm not going to get any benefit from it, and therefore you're not permitted to use it. So then why, <coughs> so then why according to Rav Shimon, in the Brisa does he say that you're allowed to use the oil in the bowl once the fire goes out? What's, what, what's going on over here? Which one is it? Gemara says there's two different types of kairas. There is a kaira, a large kaira, a large bowl, and a small bowl. So it's like this. Here's how we read it. In the Brisa, we said that you're permitted to use the oil in the bowl. We're talking about a bowl that is similar to the regular standard lamp. And the standard lamp in those days was a very limited use. It was a couple of hours long of oil. So the bowl is similar to that. It's a bowl with very little capacity. However, hacha kaara demiudekais. But over here, when we say that the ka'ara and the kais and the ashashas, you're not permitted to use even after they go out, we're talking about a ka'ara, a bowl that is more similar to a cup. And a cup in those days, I suppose, was a very large-sized cup. And therefore, this bowl is also a large-sized bowl. And therefore, when you lit it, you intended for it to stay lit the whole Shabbos, and you had no intention to use it. And therefore, it becomes makatsadas, something that you intend to be reserving for use as a mitzvah the whole Shabbos, and therefore, you have no ability to use it even after it goes out. Omer of Zer, of Zer says, Pomet shahadiko be'vashabbos. You have a, a lamp, but this lamp is made out of metal. Okay, so since it's metal, and therefore it's not so porous. Now, if it was lit on Shabbos, the the one who was lenient when it came earlier, right? In other words, the position of Reb Shimon, who said that we are lenient when it comes to a, to a lamp, that once it's gone out, you're permitted to move it. So over here, Aser. Over here, he's going to say, actually, one second. Let me see Rashi. I'm sorry, not, not, not Reb Meir. Not, not, um, not Reb Yehuda. Not Reb Shimon. Reb Meir. A mayor who was lenient earlier and said that even if you have an old candle, you're permitted to move that candle if it's not lit on Shabbos, right? As long as it's not lit on Shabbos. Reb Zera says if you have a pumlet that was lit on Shabbos, a metal torch that was lit on Shabbos, according to the one who originally was lenient, your mayor who said that you are permitted to move a candle that was not lit on Shabbos. Usher over here, he says you're not permitted to move this one. Even if it's metal and it's lit on Shabbos, you're not permitted to move it. The one who says earlier that it is forbidden to move it. Who is that? That is the opinion of Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda said earlier, you're, for, you're forbidden to move a lamp once it was ever used. Why are you forbidden to use a lamp once it was ever used? So he said, he holds a muksa that pottery gets gross. However, over here, he will permit you to use it. Why? 
says, that would be assuming that Rabbi Huda only holds a mukta machmas mius, only holds of the type of mukta that we call something that becomes gross and is mukta. But something that is not gross, but rather <coughs> is not permitted to be used on Shabbos, maybe over there he doesn't hold that that's a type of mukta that makes it um, not, no longer able to use that at all. In other words, what's the case of mukta machmas iser? case of mukta machmas iser is an item that its standard use on Shabbos is not, uh, its standard use that one would use it for on Shabbos is not permitted to be used. Since you're not permitted to use it in a standard way on Shabbos, what do people think about that item before Shabbos? They put it away and they think to themselves, this is not going to be used on Shabbos. When they do that, it, they have inherently taken that item and put it away out of their mind and therefore it is not muhan. It is not prepared to be used on Shabbos and therefore you're not allowed to use it on Shabbos. Now, if you're telling me, Rabbi Huda, who says it's forbidden to use a lamp that was ever used at all, a lamp made out of powdery is forbidden to be used to be moved on Shabbos. Why? Because it is mias. It's gross. Okay. But when it comes to something that's a metal lamp, then indeed he does allow you to move it, even if it was already used. Why would you say that? It must be that you're going to say that because you think that he only has a problem with muktzah machmas mias. The only type of muktzah that he holds of is muktzah that it became gross. But he does not hold a muktzah machmas iser. The fact that it was used for a forbidden, uh, for the only benefit, the only usage, the primary usage that it has is a um, a forbidden benefit, then he holds that that's not type of muktza. That's not true, though. Rabbi Huda also agrees to that type of muktza. How do we know? But Tanya, we learned in Abaisa. Rabbi Huda says, All candles made out of metal. All candles that are made out of metal, you're allowed to carry them, as long as they're not lit this Shabbos. But a candle that was lit that Shabbos is forbidden to be used. Why? Because then it's called Isser. It's called something which was already used on Shabbos and was used in a forbidden way. Not not that you used it in a forbidden way, because when you lit it on Shabbos, it was permitted for it to be lit before Shabbos, and it was lit before Shabbos, and it remained lit on Shabbos. But there was a time period on Shabbos when it was forbidden to move it. And Rabbi Huda over there does hold clearly, if it was lit on Shabbos, and it was unable to be used or, or to be moved on Shabbos, then it's forbidden to use it the rest of the Shabbos. It's forbidden to move it the rest of the Shabbos. So Rabbi Huda holds a muktzah the type of the muktzah that something is gross, and also muktzah iser, something that is muktzah because there was a time on Shabbos in which it was unable to be used. So how could you say that, how could Rebzeira come along and say that the metal torch, the one who originally was uh, stringent about other candles, by the metal torch he's lenient. That's not true. He would be stringent by metal torches also because it's still going to have mukta machmas iser. It's still going to have the type of mukta that since it was unable to be, to be moved on Shabbos at all, it becomes mukta for the rest of Shabbos. So Ali'iyat ma'achiyat is what you have to say. Rebzeira's statement is different. Rebzeira's statement was like this. The metal torch that was lit on Shabbos. Everybody agrees it's forbidden to move it. But if it was not lit this Shabbos, everybody agrees it is mutter to transport it. Why? Because it no longer, according to a metal torch, there's nothing gross about it. Since there's nothing gross about it, even Rabbi Yehuda would say, there's no reason that you can't move it. Now, what's the usage of a metal torch? <coughs> if, it, if it's not going to be used for oil, maybe you'll use it to transport oil. Maybe you'll use it to transport water. Who knows what you're going to use it for? But you could use it in ways that are not mukta, in ways that are not forbidden to be moved. And even Rabbi Yehuda would agree, since it's not gross, it doesn't have any other mukta aspect to it. Okay, so now we're going to get into the topic of, of uh, basis. We really discussed this a little bit um, yesterday. A basis is something, a, a completely mutter item, an item that is normally permitted to be used in its regular fashion, but you decided to make it the base for a mukta item. Okay, once we became the base for the muktzah item, we look at it as if it's serving the muktzah item. 
And then you can no longer use that item on Shabbos. Now, the, the way we understand that is it's an item that was put aside as a busus for the entire Bein Hashemashas, for the entire Twilight Zone. If it was not put aside as a busus for the entire Twilight Zone, it's not going to be an issue. And also, it has to be, Gemara is really going to get into this, but just to speak it out now already, the, um, it has to have been put there intentionally, and it has to have been put there intentionally by someone who has the right to put it there. Okay? So if you have a guest in your house, and he is walking around, and he decides to put his laptop down on your table that has nothing else on it, Banish Mushes, and you don't notice it there, and it's there the whole Banish Mushes, that does not make the table a buses, because he does not have the right to make your table a buses. If you yourself left it on the table on Wednesday afternoon and forgot, and then just left it there up through Friday night, that's considered to be unintentional leaving, and you'd still be allowed to remove the table. Okay, I'm going to view there. Who this says? You have a bed that you decided, you designated it, that you're going to put money on that bed. You are forbidden to move that bed. It has become a basis. It says that you're allowed to move a brand new candle that was never used yet, brand new lamp, but you're not permitted to move an old one, right? That's what our Mishnah just taught us, right? Turning the page now. Now, a ner, a lamp, it's in its primary purpose of a lamp is to light that lamp. And obviously that is your intention to use this as a lit lamp in the future. And yet still, before it actually becomes lit and it's not yet gross, you're permitted to move it on Shabbos. So why is it that when you have a bed that you're saying, well, it's a bed. And normally a bed is used in a permissible fashion. You decided that you want to use this bed as the base to hold money on it. Why should that be any worse than a candle that was never yet lit? Designating the bed to hold the money is not any worse than a candle that by definition inherently is designated to be a lamp. So, this is not exactly what the purpose of a bed is for. It should not be obvious that you're permitted to move it. This is what you're going to have to say. It's not what the statement was. The statement was like this. I'm going to review the A bed that you have designated for money. If you actually put money onto that bed, it becomes forbidden to move the bed. If you did not yet put money on the bed, then you're permitted to use it. Whether you designate it or not, you're still permitted to use it if you didn't yet put money on it. If you did not <coughs> designate it for money at all, then if it has money on it, then it's forbidden to move it. If it does not have money on it, then it's permitted to move it. But that's only true if the money was not on it, the money was on it, and even if later on the Shabbos is no longer on it, it has become forbidden to move the bed the entire Shabbos. You just said unintentional leaving is not buses. Right. So isn't what, isn't it, isn't lo yachta, but there's money, there's money on it, you can't move it, isn't that unintentional leaving? No. So I think the idea is that is a way of saying that this is your intention for this bed, right? In other words, there's two different ways to say it. I have intent to put the money on that bed. I don't have intent that the money in the, that the bed from now on, the purpose of this bed from now on is going to be to hold money on it. That's not my intent. But I did have intent that the money should be on this bed for Shabbos, right? means I said this bed is going to be a bed that has money on it, right? It's, it's redefining the bed as opposed to just redefining that currently the money is staying on the bed, right? Let me just see yeah, it just seems, seems like an odd thing to even start with then. Because then you're starting from a very rare case where you actually took a bed and you said this needs to be the base for it. Right. Let, let me see. Rashi. Let me see. Why, why does it matter if you designate it or not? Then it seems like. 
Right. I, th- I was wondering when somebody's going to ask that, because at this point in time, it seems like it doesn't really make a difference if you designate it at all. The only question is, did it have money on it uh, right now? Then it's forbidden to move it. So I, I think what we're saying is, and let me let me just see Rashi. So then we say no. So if uh, well, Rashi and Tosafot seem like they, you need to also verbally designate it from the article's summary of it. You need to verbally designate it as a place for the money to live? It says merely storing money on a bed without verbally designating the bed for this usage does not change its status to muksa. But then it seems like it would be a business. One second. It was just, let's read the Gemara again. Yeah. Amar of Yehuda Amarav. Mita sheyech de la mois, niyech ala mois, mutu la tata, asla tata. Loya niyech ala mois, mutu la tata. Loyech de la mois, yesh la mois, asla tata. Even if you were not meacheted for money, you would still be forbidden to to move it if it actually has money on it, right? It just seems like you should just say if there's money on it. Oh, I'll tell you what's but, on here. Okay. But maybe right. it's, it's, a, it's an intentional versus unintentional leaving of money. Um, I mean, I think that's what Jakob was was suggesting earlier that that's what Yichta meant. Yichta meant was it intentional or not? I, I don't think that's the that's the implication. But I, I see. I think what's going on, at least according to Rashi, I haven't seen Taisus recently. But at least according to Rashi, I think what's going on is like this: Did you ever put money on it during the week or not? So you were meyacheded for money in the sense that during the week you decided to put money on this bed, right? And you you put the money on the bed during the week. Then even if it no longer has the money on Shabbos, you're still forbidden to move it. Okay, but if you had decided to use it for money and you never even put money on it during the week yet, then it's still permitted to move it on Shabbos. Now, if you had never designated it for money at all, then if it actually has money on it on Shabbos, you're forbidden to move it. If it doesn't actually have money on it on Shabbos, you're permitted to move it. However, that's still only true if it did not have money on it the whole Bein Hashemashas. Okay, so let's start all over again. I think I have the, the, the boxes now seem a little bit clearer. So you have two different types of beds. One bed you decided you're gonna it's gonna be a store place, a storing place for money. One bed you decided it won't be a storing place for money. A bed that you decided to always keep money on it. If they had money on it during the week, once you came to that decision that you want to have, put money on it, as long as it had money on it during the week, this now becomes the type of bed that is a forbidden to move because its, it's purpose in life is as a storing for money, which makes it a muktza bed to move. And that's true even if it does not have money on it on shops. As long as it once had money on it during the week. And it's designated for money, it becomes forbidden to use it even on Shabbos, even if it no longer has money on it. A bed that you did never intended, never designated, this is now a bed that is meant to be a storing house for money, then if it actually has money on it on Shabbos, forbidden to move that bed. If it does not actually have money on it on Shabbos, it's permitted to use that bed with one qualifier that if the money was on it, the entire Bainashmashis, even if it was a bed that was never designated for money. If the money was on it, the entire Bain Hashemashas, by definition, that means that the entire Bain Hashemashas, the entire twilight zone, it was forbidden to move that bed. Once it becomes forbidden to move that bed, the entire twilight zone, it then assumes that status for the entire Shabbos. Right? So those are the Rabbi, two different... Rabbi, same thing if the money's in the bed? In, uh, in as opposed to on top? Yeah, you know, you store your money in the bed. You know, the, you know it's like a hiding place to, to store your money. Is, is that where you took your money out of the bank these days? It's underneath your mattress? Um, just in case. Yeah. Um, so I don't think so. No, I think for a bus, I think it actually has to be on top of it. But I'm, I'm trying to remember. I have to look that up. Good question. I have to look it up. I think it actually has to be that, that it's on top of it. That's its main purpose. 
Um, if let's say the money's underneath the bed and you're still using the bed to sit on it, it doesn't make it a basis, right? No, well, yeah, it's underneath, but it's it, in it or, or um, if it's if it's in the mattress. Why, yeah. Why would a why would the bed become a basis? Like, I can understand if the table it's a table who has no purpose other than holding your change, but a bed's primary purpose, even if you put money on it, would be to sleep on it. Well, unless you designate it otherwise, and that's kind of it. Seems like what maybe. That's why you need both to, to designate it and to have money on it. You're suggesting that if you had a bed and that has a, a you know one of those um uh, a drawer inside your bed, I forgot what they call them, and you decided to put money inside that drawer, how could that be redefining the the, the nature of this bed to not be a bed anymore? I think you're probably right, and, that, and that's why I think for a bed for sure, I think that is what we're going to find. I do have to look that up though. That's why they invented Bitcoin though, so you don't have to leave money on beds. Um, it says here to look at. The Manir. That's why they invented bank accounts. Huh? I don't know if those will help. They look long, so. Which one? Which thesis? The it looks like the first one. The Manir. The Manir. The last one. Uh, I, I'm gonna look at that later. I'm, I don't. Yeah, wanna, I'm not saying to look at it now. I was just saying that for later. Okay. Fine. So, so let's go further, right? So those are the two different categories of beds right now in the Gemara that the Gemara is dealing with, okay? Amar Ula Ula says, Masr Rebeliazer, Muchni Shala, Bizman Shehineshmetes, Ein Chiberla. So we go into a case like this. There is a, a case of a wagon, okay? And you have a wagon, and it also has a wheel on the wagon. If the wheel is able to be easily detached from the wagon, we don't consider the wheel to be a complete, um, to be considered a, 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 a a, um, a distinct, not a distinct unit, but a, um, a one unit together with the wagon. If the wheel cannot be detached, we look at the wheel as, as what just attached to the wagon. Differences between these two things, is it, is it considered to be attached or detached, is when it comes to tumma, right, we have a question of if the wagon becomes tummy, does the wheel become tummy? So if the wheel is considered to be attached to the wagon in a way that is inseparable, right, because it, indeed it is impossible to remove it, at least in a typical fashion, so then Indeed, the, um, the wheel will also become tummy. But if the wheel <coughs> is easily detached from the wagon, the wheel is considered to be a separate item, and therefore it does not become tummy just because the wagon becomes tummy. And it is not measured along with it. So the halacha is that if you have a small portable object, but that portable object is large enough that it is 40 sa worth of volume in terms of its size, then it is no longer able to be makabal tumma. It's so large that it can no longer become ritually impure. So when you're trying to figure out, did it reach the, the requisite measure? So if it's a wheel that cannot be detached easily, then we count the wheel together with the wagon in its size. But if it's a wheel that could be detached easily, we do not count the wheel together with the wagon. And we say that the wagon itself has to reach 40 saw without even counting the wheel at all. And it's not going to be large enough to protect in ILMS. Basically, a similar idea. If this item is large enough that it cannot become ritually impure itself, for being in a tent with a dead body, right? We've discussed in the past that if something is in a tent with a dead body, right, or uh, overhang together with a dead body, then the item itself becomes tummy. Now, if the wagon is so large that it's 40 sa, then it does not become tummy. But if the wagon is so large it doesn't become tummy, then, then the wheel, if the wheel is considered to be attached to the wagon, the wheel itself will then be able to protect it that the tumma stops on that wagon. Right? So the wagon is basically able to overhang it. And because it's large enough to not become tummy itself, it also is able to stop the tumma from going up any further. So if the wheel is considered to be attached, it will, it will uh, um, also protect the area around it. But if it's not, it will not protect it. The ain't geirin oisa And you cannot 
wheel, you cannot um, push the wheel, you cannot uh, you know, wheel the wheel if there is money on top of that wheel. But if there would not be money on top of the wheel, Sharia, then it is permitted to move it. The implication is that even though it was the Urbane Shmashis, you're still permitted to move it if it's no longer on it. Because we always said is that you're not permitted to wheel it if it actually has money on it on Shabbos. Implication was as long as it does not have money on Shabbos, as long as it does not have money right now on Shabbos, even if it did have money earlier on Shabbos, you're still permitted to wheel it. Why would that be so? The Gemara says, I hear Reb Shimini. This is the opinion of Reb Shimon. Blessed Muktzah, who does not hold of Muktzah. So Rav, who said that once you designated the once you've designated the, the bed, if it has money on it, even before Shabbos, it becomes Muktzah. And even if it does not have money on it before, even and if a bed that was not designated, as long as it does have money on it, it becomes Muktzah the whole Shabbos. Whose opinion was that? That is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Because as we keep on saying, Rabbi Yehuda is more stringent when it comes to Muktzah questions, and Rabbi Shimon is not as stringent. So Rabbi Shimon indeed holds that even if there was money on it, it does not become Muktzah the rest of Shabbos. Because he does not hold a Migudis Katsai, just because it was set aside, Rabbi Shimon does not believe that therefore it becomes Muktza the rest of Shabbos too. Rabbi Huda does believe that it becomes Muktza the rest of Shabbos. So Rabbi says that as long as there was money on the bed, even though the bed was never designated as a basis for money, right, specifically, but it does have money on it, that's enough to make it Muktza the whole Shabbos. Because he holds like Rabbi Huda, who says that once it becomes Muktza, it's Muktza the whole Shabbos. And this Brisa that's talking about the wagon wheel, that the wagon wheel can be detached, that what the wagon wheel that could be detached, even if it has money on it earlier on Shabbos, you're still allowed to wheel it later on Shabbos if it no longer has money on it. That is not the opinion of Rabbi Huda. That is the opinion of Reb Shimon. Okay, we're going to stop over here, and I will Linedra, look up um, exactly when does something become a bus. Is it specifically when it's on top, or is it only when... Um, is it only when it's on top or is it even when it's inside, right? And just to speak out the, the other point that about buses, right, that even if there's something which is forbidden to be used on Shabbos, and that is the sitting on top of a banish mushes, and even if you had intent for it to sit on top of a banish mushes, but you also had something on that on the table that is more valuable, then it's still permitted to, to move it, right? So if you have your leichter, you have your Shabbos candles on the table, right, you're not going to be able to move the actual tray with the, I mean, in theory, you could even move the tray if you put something valuable into the tray aside from the candles. But let's say you just have straight two candlesticks sitting on your, on your Shabbos table, and that's the only thing sitting there being a shmush, so you're not permitted to move the Shabbos table on Shabbos now, right? But let's say you also had challah on the Shabbos table, or you also had your wife put her ring on the Shabbos table, so then there are things on that table that are more valuable than the candlesticks, and those things you are permitted to move. And therefore, it becomes what we call a basis The table becomes a basis for something that is permitted to be moved. And therefore, you cannot redefine this table as being a specific thing, uh, the base of things that are muksa. It's not the base of things that are muksa. It's the base of things. Some of them muksa, some of them not muksa. And therefore, you would be permitted to move the table. Right? That, that's the, the, always the best option, is to make sure that uh, nobody's putting things down on places that you're actually going to want to be using on Shabbos. Or if they need to do it, then at least they should put something more valuable that is permitted to be moved. And then we cannot re we won't be able to redefine that space as being a space which is dedicated for something which is muktzah, which would not allow us to move that table on Shabbos. Okay, take care, guys. Be well. Thank you. Good night. Good night.